The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with C. Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Mike Gibson and Greg Stone coming to you virtually for TCT 2020. And Greg, we're talking about a trial I wanted to do that you did, which is the, uh, it's the prospect absorb trial. Now we usually treat the Titus blockage or the thrombotic blockage, but you looked at what happens if you intervene on the vulnerable plaques. Fascinating. Tell us what you found, Greg. Well, you know, Mike, you're, you're absolutely right. And, uh, but there's an increasing recognition that just ischemic lesions don't explain all the events that are happening, especially in patients with acute coronary syndromes and diabetics. And right. we learned from the first prospect study that you can identify non-flow limiting plaques that, pay, that place those lesions and patients therefore at risk for future adverse cardiovascular events. And, and in prospect one, they were really plaques that had large plaque burden um, that were um, thin cap fibroatheromas according to virtual histology and ultrasound technique. And that also had a small middle luminal area despite having a diameter stenosis of 32% by angiography. So virtual histology, of course, never really caught on because it's difficult to do, it's difficult to interpret. Um, so in prospect two, which I know you're covering separately, we assessed um, uh, integrated NIRS IVIS catheter, that is near infrared spectroscopy in IVIS, to be able to detect vulnerable plaque. And as you saw from that study, we were able to successfully um, uh, looking at lipid-rich plaques as well as those with high plaque burden to detect vulnerable plaque. So the question is, what do you do about these things once you um, identify them? And of course, it makes sense to use potent um, uh, medical therapy, uh, high-dose statins, uh, and if you can't get control there, perhaps PCSK9 inhibitors. But all the patients in our studies are already on all that, and they're still having a high incidence of events. So what we did was, as a pilot trial to inform a large-scale randomized trial, we did um, a um, small randomized trial within prospect two of vulnerable plaques defined as those with a high plaque burden, which was a validated uh, um, uh, finding from prospect one. And we randomized those lesions to get either an absorbed bioresorbable vascular scaffold versus just maximal medical therapy alone. And 98% uh, of the patients were on statins, 85 to 90% were on a high dose of torvastatin or rosuvastatin. And so they were really on, you know, dapped with ticagrelor mostly for 12 months. So they're really on uh, potent therapy. And we, we randomized 192 um, such lesions. And we, the hypothesis was in this pilot, could we safely enlarge the lumen? Okay, so that's what we were powered to show. We weren't powered for clinical effectiveness or even clinical safety. That would require a much larger trial. But in a couple hundred patients, we wanted to see if we could safely enlarge the lumen and change the morphology of the so-called vulnerable plaque by putting on the scaffold, therefore creating a neocap on top of the scaffold. And we found that we were able to um, uh, safely enlarge the lumen. 
um, by treating these lesions with uh, Byers orbital scaffolds, we brought them all back at 25 months for follow-up angiography. And uh, we found out that we basically doubled the lumen size by treating with the Byers orbital scaffold from about three ml, um, a three millimeter squared at baseline to approximately six millimeters squared at follow-up. Uh, in addition, we, we did create a neocap on top of the scaffold of about 210 microns. So, um, uh, you know, IVIS does not have the resolution to see if these were thin caps or not, but they were bulky plaques, about 75% plaque burden. They were lipid-rich plaques. Um, they were about 33% lipid by the NIRS spectroscopy. And so we put the scaffold on safely. We created a thicker cap. And while we weren't powered for clinical events, it was very interesting when we, we looked at our predefined MACE endpoint, which was a lesion-specific endpoint adjudicated uh, blindly, um, the lesions that were treated with medical therapy had about a 10% adverse MACE rate at four years, whereas the lesions that were treated um, with the BBS had a 4% MACE rate. So that was about a 60% reduction with a p-value of 0.12. Again, not powered for clinical um, efficacy, but very suggestive of a 60% um, uh, reduction in major adverse events. Now, most of those major adverse events were rapid accelerating angina without myocardial infarction, but with rapid lesion progression. So because these patients were on high-dose statins and uh, um, uh, DAPT, et cetera, when they would have a thrombotic event, their you know, plaque burden would double the stenosis would go from an average of around 40% to 80%. It would mm -hmm. cause accelerating severe angina, but you know, their medical therapy kept the vessels open. But they all had to come in, of course, for a, a repeat procedure. So do you mention the clinical events? Did you do QCA or some quantitative measure of the cross-sectional area? You know, at follow-up, was it bigger with the scaffolding? Well, we didn't, we didn't do QCA for, uh, we didn't do QCA quantitative, we did QCA, of course, at baseline and follow-up. Right. And QCA, but we didn't do it in a cross-sectional, um, uh, uh, you know, geometric uh, determination. We just used the standard minimal luminal diameter and diameter stenosis. And the diameter stenosis went from about 41% at baseline to about 71% by follow-up QCA um, uh, at the time of the event. So these were severe stenosis. Sure, but in general, were the MLDs in the scaffold group bigger than the MLDs in the control arm? Yes, they, they were much larger. I can give you the numbers if you want to wait a second, but they were much larger. They were doubled. Oh, really? Wow, so, so the oh, lumens yeah. were bigger. Oh, the lumens yeah, were, were bigger. Uh, by, 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 by imaging, the lumens were bigger. By QCA, they were also bigger too. Um, uh, both the MLD was bigger, the diameter stenosis was lower. And interestingly, the, the angiographic um, uh, restenosis rate of the BVS-treated lesions was 4.7%. Mm -hmm. And of the other lesions, the medical therapy-treated lesions, a diameter stenosis of greater than or equal to 50% was present in about 15% of the lesions which was wow. a statistically significant difference. Wow, okay, so a difference in disease progression. Uh, oh, very much. 
and a trend towards a difference in clinical events. Greg, did vulnerable, you know, when you look at necrotic poor, the creek has shown us that the necrotic poor was related to adverse outcomes. Did you look at necrotic poor and the role that it played? I mean, was that, did that play a role here? Yeah, well, in in the main Prospect 2 study, um, we, and I presume you're talking to David Erling and he'll go over those results in detail. But in the main Prospect 2 study, the necrotic core, in this case, is measured by the near-infrared spectroscopy maximum lipid core burden index over four millimeters, was a powerful independent predictor of MACE events, both at the lesion level and the patient level. Similar to what uh, Patrick had uh, found earlier. So did that play, I mean, was there a positive interaction term kind of there? If you had a necrotic core at baseline, were your results even more impressive in terms of clinical event reduction? Right. Well, the absolute, the more of the high-risk characteristics that you happen to have in the lesions, then yes, the higher the event rate in the medical therapy harm and the higher the absolute event rate reduction in the treatment arm, although the relevant the re- a relative reduction was similar, whether yeah. you had zero, one, two, or three high-risk plaque characteristics. I see. Well, you know, I was just wondering if, you know, this would really be a benefit, particularly if you had those high-risk characteristics. Sounds like it was fairly homogenous benefit. Well, well we do, and, and I, I think that's true. I mean, when you looked at the main Prospect 2 findings, if you had a, a plaque burden greater than 70% and a lipid core burden index greater than 325, that's the upper quarter, of them, then those lesions had a 7% event rate. If you had yeah. neither of those factors, those lesions had a 0.2% event rate. This is at four years. And if you had wow. one of them, then it was a 1% to 2% event rate. So it is almost an exponential you know, increase when you have multiple of the high-risk factors. Now, by the way, there's a patient attached to that, uh, you know, yeah. all lesion. Were there any patient-based risk factors that help determine who might benefit from this? Really, the only patient-based risk-based risk factors in the present study was insulin-treated diabetes. Um, in the first prospect study, it was insulin-treated diabetes and prior PCI. The prior PCI was not as potent in this data set. But insulin-treated diabetes is a major risk factor. But that kind of makes sense clinically, right? Yeah. So, Greg, this is very, very provocative. Are you going to be able to talk Abbott into following up with a larger study? I mean, well, either looks- you know, either Abbott or um, uh, you know the Medtronic, Boston Scientific, the stent industry in general. Uh, I mean, I think it's really time to now that we've got this pilot study showing even with the first generation BVS scaffold, we could safely. Uh, treat these lesions. Um, I think that probably metallic DES or a second generation scaffold would do even better. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, do we wait on a second generation scaffold? Do you think it would apply to be to other DES? I mean, I do. I I, I do. I think that we, we use the scaffold here because the, the, you know, there, there had been a fair amount of work done by Patrick and others showing that, you know, the scaffold would create that nice neocap. Um, it also would equalize wall stress across the lesion, and, and it, its non-permanence is just attractive if you're thinking of tr- long-term treatment of vulnerable plaque. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a lot of work done as well with metallic drug-eluting stents, and they really do the same thing. Um, they create a neocap. The thinner metallic DES may be a slightly thinner neocap, but it would mm-hmm. still be at least 100 microns, which is plenty, you know, with 65 microns being a 
a TICFA. So yeah. I think these results support um, a randomized trial, even with metallic drug eluting stents. Well said like a true trialist. I actually think this is really, really, really cool stuff, Greg. So I, I do hope you're able to talk someone into doing it. And um, I think it, this is actually very, very, very fascinating. Congratulations. Well, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for... Uh, I think listening to one of the more interesting presentations I've heard in a long time. Thanks for joining us here virtually for TCT 2020.